Yemi here who's joining me as a host. And um, Yemi is in Madrid, right? You're in Madrid? In Madrid, correct. That's right. So Yemi and I have a exceptional panel tonight. And um, these, these brothers come from all over. Um, we have Brother Ray, who's joined us many, many times before. He was, he was one of the originals on the Fireside Chat, and uh, Brother Ray's in Dublin. We also have uh, Brother Ken, who's actually here with me in Munich, um, but uh, he just moved here, and we're all very thankful for that. And we also have Brother Michael, and uh, Michael, I think, was originally from Dublin. Is that right? Okay, yeah. But he has, he has since migrated like we all should, and um, he, is, he is in England now. So I'm gonna, uh, there's no time to waste. We're, this, this, is, um, this is over technically at six. We might, we might uh, uh, finish before that, but we're just gonna jump right into it. And um, I'm, gonna I'm gonna throw it over to Yemi. Yemi's got the first question. And I think it's, it's going to Brother Michael. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Trevor. So we're going to start now. And I think as Trevor mentioned, this question will go to Brother Michael. And here it goes. It says, why do brothers that serve have to shave and can't have a beard? Because after all, it doesn't make a man less, any less professional. So that question is to Brother Michael. Okay, so before, before I answer the questions, something I'd just like to mention um, from the sharing from Brother Dom this morning, I was another realm is in us. And he said there's a principle in us that is unknown to the world. I was very impressed with this point. The Lord Jesus is emphatically the tree of life on the line of life. He draws everything from that, that life. Um, and his goal is to do the will of the Father. So that life is in us. And uh, it's real mercy, as our brother shared this morning, uh, that that life has been put in us. But that was that is what makes us often mysterious people. The way that we look at things, the way that we do things are, we could say this word, alien to the world around us. People just don't understand. Why do you live that way? Why do you respond in that way? Or why don't you respond? So that's just a little preamble. I was very impressed with the sharing that today on that point. And, you know, we have a lot of questions to go through today with you all. We will do our best to respond and respond according to life, not according to right and wrong. So the first question, why do brothers that serve have to shave? Well, I'm not sure that Brother Trevor has shaved in the last few days, and I think he is serving, as far as I know. Um, so 
In the church life, we really don't have rules and regulations. We have life. We have life and peace. And that's how we, that's our standard. Our standard is life and peace, not rules and regulations, not yes and no, black and white, beard or shaven. Um, we, we follow our conscience. We follow life in peace, and this is something that will be repeated a number of times. But sometimes, maybe our sense of life in peace or our knowledge according to God is not that developed or that mature. So we can't just say, because I have life in peace, it's okay. The Lord wisely places the branches, plural, in the vine. We are not an individual branch in the vine. There are many branches around us. So our standard is life and peace. Our standard is, uh, well, life and peace. But sometimes we, it's good to check about something. We want to make a choice, make a decision, do something. And we're not that certain. Well, we just can check with some more mature ones that are around us who've been in the church life, in the Christian life, in the Word of God, much longer and much, much longer than we have. So that's my response. Uh, there is no law in the Bible. It, clearly, one of the tortures that they did to the Lord, the Roman soldiers were, or maybe it was the, the religious ones, they tore, they tore out his beard. So clearly the Lord was not a clean-shaven man, but that was the custom of the day, not to be clean-shaven. But anyway, uh, we don't have a law or a rule that you can't uh, grow out a beard. Some people look very distinguished wearing a beard. That's my response. Excellent. Thank you very much, Brother Michael. Um, well, I'll just take, throw this over to Trevor then. Go ahead, Trevor. Okay, so, <clears throat> yeah, that mm. was, um, amen. Okay, I'm not going to add anything to that, and you can all just see it. Um, I got, this one is actually going to go over to Brother Ray, and um, this one I think everybody struggles with, so I, I really like this question. What is the difference between living by the sense of life and peace and just living in our feelings? Yeah, that is a good question. And there is a kind of mysterious quality to it, not easy to define uh, in black and white, but uh, we can just fellowship. Uh, firstly, the question identifies uh, an inherent uh, distinction in our being. On the one hand, we have life and peace. And of course, we realize, according to Romans, uh, Romans 8, that the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. So life and peace is something that's derived from our experience of setting our mind on the spirit. Now, what does that mean? We have a very active mind, right? And we know that man is composed of a body, soul, and spirit. In the soul, we have three elements. One is the mind. The other is the emotion. The third element of our soul is the will. And so our soul really is our person. The Bible teaches that 
we identify ourselves mainly through the faculties of the soul. The soul really relates to our person. But there's also another part to our being. And I have to tell you that when I was brought up, taught, uh, grew up in a Roman Catholic family, I never heard about the idea that man also has a spirit. And uh, I always considered, because I was taught this way, that man is composed of a body and a soul. And because this is the, you know, most people realize man has an outer being, a physical being. He has a body, easily identifiable, but he also has a soul. He has an inward part, an inner man. Uh, this is called the soul. And most people, I think, agree with this. There's a psychological part to man's being that actually distinguishes him from other creatures. But the Bible also teaches us that man has a third part, and that is the human spirit, which is deeper than our soul. It's actually, according to Hebrews, the spirit is hidden within the soul. So when we talk about setting our mind on the spirit, our mind, which is part of our soul, we need to learn to exercise, to turn our heart, to turn our mind to contact the Lord who is living in our spirit. One of the beauties of the Christian life is we have a mingled spirit. That means that the spirit, God the spirit dwells in our spirit. So we can, we can contact God, we can touch God, we can fellowship with God in our own spirit. We don't have to reach out to him far away in the heavens. He lives right inside of us. And so when we turn to exercise uh, and, and we, we turn our mind to exercise our spirit, to touch our spirit, to use our spirit, that is to set the mind on the spirit. The result of that exercise is life and peace. This is what Romans teaches us, that the result of our setting our mind on the spirit is life and peace. And this is a real test. Many times we may think, or we may wonder, where am I? Where am I? You know, we all struggle uh, to, to find out, are we in the spirit? How do I contact the Lord? The Lord is a mystery. My spirit is a mystery. The whole thing gets very mysterious. And you may wonder, how do I know? If I'm one with the Lord, how do I know what the Lord's feeling is about so many things? What is the Lord's will for me in this big decision coming up? And so we always talk about life and peace, right? But the way to get to the life and peace is you have to exercise, take your mind and set it on the spirit, the spirit being the deepest part of your being. This takes some exercise. This takes prayer. This takes opening to the Lord, maybe touching the Lord in his word. And in this way, you can begin to really set your mind on the spirit. Now, in contrast with all of this, is this matter of the feelings. And uh, again, we all have trouble in this area. How do you distinguish between feelings and this matter of life and peace. 
And I would say a couple of things here about feelings. One thing is we need to realize we have to be careful about trusting our feelings that much. The reason I say that is you have a very interesting proverb in chapter 14 of Proverbs. It says, there is a way which seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. In other words, many times our feeling, we may have a feeling about something. It seems right. It seems like, oh, this is the way I should go. But actually, it may lead us into a situation of death, spiritual death, psychological death, and so forth. So feelings are things that are not to be trusted that much because the feelings issue from our emotion. This is what makes your emotion what it is. It is the place of feeling, of joy, of happiness, of sorrow, depression, all kinds of feelings can, can take place within the emotion of the soul, yet this may not necessarily be the Lord's feeling. And so many times it's easy for us to try to judge. The reason I say this is important is because we may want to justify our feelings about things when actually the feelings do not issue from the spirit, but they issue from the soul. And so we need to learn, saints. Uh, this is part of the exercise of the Christian life is to learn how to discern the difference but more importantly, how to really exercise our spirit by setting our mind on the spirit. Uh, I think one, just to, to, to conclude in this way, um, you know, when you look at human society, many times people will justify things, even though, uh, even though they are wrong, improper, sinful, uh, they will try to justify these things based on their feeling. They had some feeling about they felt to do this or this made them happy. Well, one safeguard concerning our feelings is to measure everything against the word. Because the word and the spirit will go together. In other words, we may, we may go through this process of exercising, turning to the Lord. We, we, we have a sense. We feel like this is what the Lord wants us to do. Well, it can always be measured by the word. And so you have the life within our spirit, and you also have the word, which is external to us. The word is a safeguard. The word is a protection. Uh, and because in the word, we find the truth. And so truth and life are like two wings of an airplane. They really balance each other and they enable that plane to take off and fly. When you have life and truth working together, you can have confidence that you're okay. I, just uh, as in the way of a personal experience, you know, some years ago, many of us, even as believers, we were in the churches and we got all... We got all interested in, uh, shall I say, we just got interested in excitement. 
we were very much against being religious. We didn't want to be religious. We wanted to be outside of religion, but we got distracted by the idea of that the Christian life is, is full of excitement, enjoyment, because we talk about enjoyment all the time, right? So we got caught up in a kind of an excitement and that gave some ground for the enemy to come in to cause dissension and even some division among us. And what, what, what saved us was to be brought back to the truth, to come back to the Bible as the truth. And when, you're, when your view, your feeling, your actions are guided by the Bible, then you can have confidence that you're on the right way. So uh, I, I really appreciate this really wonderful balance between life and truth and how they can safeguard us. So I'll just end my response here. Very good. Hey, Ken or, or uh, uh, Michael, do you have any anything to add to this? Not yet. Uh, yeah. Well, just I'm, I'm echoing Ray. We had a little fellowship earlier. Uh, life and peace will never contradict the word of God. Amen. If the source is our mingled spirit, if the source is the Lord as life within our spirit, there should be an outward confirmation of the inward sense. That will first and foremost come from the word and coming back to the first question in my response should also be uh, confirmed or affirmed by mature members of the body of Christ. So, you know, I have life and peace to do a certain, go in a certain direction. Well, to do a certain thing, let's say to do a certain thing, and we will touch that probably later. Well, we need to check. Well, what does the Bible say about this course of action that I'm choosing to go along? Does the word uh, um, permit me to go in this direction or, or not? And then sometimes there isn't something in the word explicitly regarding some, something we have life and peace about. Um, let's say I'm about this. Um, I have life and peace to marry a certain person. As maybe a certain person, maybe with, let's say, an addiction. I don't know there's any verse in the Bible that says you shouldn't marry someone who's got an addiction. But mature members of the body might say to us, well, we might, our counsel would be, perhaps that person needs to take care of their addiction first. And then let's see if that's the right person for you to marry. I'm just throwing, pulling something, you know, as an example. There's nothing in the word about it, but mature people, mature saints who pass through many life experiences, have had many dealings, see the outcome. We can be very idealistic when we're young and we think we should do this. But many of us that have been around a while, we, we see the outcome repeated again and again and again. Oh, I'm marrying for love. But the person, everyone around you is saying, that's not, that we don't think that's the right person for you. So again, to be balanced, um, very, very important. Life, truth, plus 
the fellowship in the body of Christ, real safeguards to check is our sense of life and peace genuinely from the Lord and the Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Michael. Thank you, Brother Ken. Really touched by that little phrase, that life and peace would never contradict the word of God. So with that, we'll go on to the next question. This question will be directed to Brother Ken, and it goes as follows. From the first meeting, there was something mentioned regarding protests and issues on social justice. And it will be good to have some clarification as to why we shouldn't be involved in protests, even if they are peaceful. Brother Ken. So, um, fellowship from the first couple of questions kind of feeds in to a response here. Um, and first off, we among, among us, there is no rule, no law, no, that says thou shalt not protest. Um, uh, there's no outward guidance like that. However, um, we need to consider what is generally the outcome or the result of, of these of these of these things. And the uh, the protests that are happening today, I'll just say today, um, very often turn violent. They may start peaceful, but most of them, I don't know, all of them, many of them have gotten violent. So suppose you are out what you think is a peaceful protest and all of a sudden turns violent. Then, then what you find yourself in is a very, very difficult predicament. Um, so that's one aspect to consider. Um, peaceful protests that start peaceful may not remain peaceful. Another thing to consider, okay, that comes from actually the previous question, what about living by our feelings? Well, a lot of times, most of the time, protests come out of someone's feelings. And maybe you and your roommate have different feelings. <laughs> you may go out and protest on different sides of a protest. What does that look like? <laughs> uh, that, that would be quite awkward. Um, so uh, that could be a very, very awkward and difficult situation. So that's another, another downside of these types of these types of things. Um, could get us involved in something we don't want to be involved in. Could get in, be drawn into a uh, violent situation. Could find myself protesting against my roommate or against another brother in the church life or sister in the church life, um, another Christian. That. So that's why we are general counsel is, and again, it's counsel, is, is we want to stay out of the realm of politics. The protests are always in the realm of politics. And <clears throat> politics uh, arrive from, from feelings. And nobody's protesting something they think is wrong. <laughs> As soon as you start protesting in one way or another, you're in the realm of right or wrong. And you feel you're right, so you're protesting your rightness. And your brother on the other side of the 
meeting hall is protesting his or her rightness. Uh, and in both, in both cases, it's, it's a matter of right, not life. Um, so really, what, a, what, what is the Lord's life doing? The Lord's life builds the church. So that's another question I ask. As you go out at a protest, how is that building up the church? How is that giving life to your brothers, other, your brothers and sisters? It's just being involved in an outward situation, um, a political element, but it is not supplying life to build up the body of Christ. Um, so this is really what the Lord has called us to. The Lord has called us to supply Christ to one another, supply life to one another, to build one another up. And so we need to consider my choices, the things I do with my time. Are they building up the body of Christ? Or are they just doing something that could be possibly tearing down the body of Christ? Uh, so that's something really to consider as you're considering a matter of do I join this protest or not? Ask the question, is this going to build up the body of Christ? Um, and, if, and if it does, if you feel it does, well, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> but, uh, but consider, does it, build up, does it build up the body of Christ? That's, where, that's what we're all about today, is building up the, building up the body. Now, the, um, when you look at down through history, I'm just going to pull, pull one example here. Um, if, if, if everybody lived by the law of life, there would be no protest, there'd be no social issues, there'd be no, no problem. Um, an example, uh, in, we'll talk about slavery. The Bible talks about one's, be, uh, one's being in slavery. Uh, and Paul talked to Philemon, and Onesimus, his slave, would run away and counseled Onesimus to cause that counsel Philemon to bring him back in a sweet way. Now, the point here is if Onesimus and Philemon are both living Christ by the tree of life, then Philemon, the master, would take care of Onesimus just like his son. And Onesimus would take would honor the his his master for whatever reason we don't know why uh, as his father, and there would be peace between them because both are living by the tree of life. The point here is if we live if everyone lives by the tree of life, then there are no issues. Now, problem is today that's rare. <laughs> That's why in the in the in the in those in in the church life among the churches in the Lord's recovery are exercises to live by life. Then between us you have this type of situation, this life-giving, supplying, enjoyable situation between one another that just builds one another up, and it protects us from all the other social issues uh, going on. Um, now, to take another example, um, the Welsh Revival. Uh, that was a revival in the early 1900s that lasted not too long, but, but it was very powerful. And Evan Roberts was a, uh, a coal miner who prayed a lot. And 
through his prayer and, and his prayer with others. I'll, I'll point that out. He wasn't just his prayer. There was a whole group. Many were praying. In fact, it's been said that everybody who was saved during that time was prayed for by a group of believers. So there was a lot of small group prayer going on during that revival. But the point is, the pubs and the bars closed up. Nobody wanted to, nobody wanted to go to the entertainment of the pubs and the bars. The, um, all of the um, issues of law and order, um, the problems with uh, the, the, all the, 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 the police didn't have whole much to do anymore. <laughs> there, weren't any, there weren't that many crimes being uh, committed. So this, this happened, this is a real situation. This actually happened. Um, but today the Lord is calling us in to the church life to live a kingdom life that, that he can eventually then in the next age bring in what we're all looking for. Today, everybody's going out and protesting to try to bring, bring something in, but you can't change man from the outside. Man can only be changed by taking in Christ, enjoying Christ, and living out Christ from the inside. Then, then man can be changed and transformed. But, but so today the Lord is calling us to live a kingdom life under the throne with one another in the church. This is what the Lord is doing today. And then that will become in the next age, the Lord will have all the social issues solved because he will be the ruler. Now I want to bring one other verse. We, we fellowshiped a lot about this question. So I want to read another verse here in Romans chapter 13. Um, let every person be subject to the authorities over him, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are ordained by God. Then he who resists the authority opposes God's ordination, and those who oppose will receive judgment to themselves. So, for the rulers are not a terror to the good work, but to the evil. So do you, do you want to have no fear of the authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from him. Now, so the Lord here in Romans is saying we need to take care that we're under authority. We're not to go out. And so, again, our counsel is it's, it's not wise. It's not wise to go out and be, be involved in these things because, in a sense, you are protesting against those the Lord has put in authority. And Romans 14, 17, but the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So the kingdom of God is the joy in the Lord. And going out and protesting is really is not in the joy of the Lord, is not building up the body of Christ. So even though there is no, quote, rule that says thou shalt not do this, Consider, is it building up the body? Is it supplying your other brother and sister who might be out there on the other side of the protest line? Um, and is it a, is, are you being subject to the authorities? Um, what is the source of this protest? Uh, so this is next, we had a lot of fellowship about this question. So I did my best to summarize our fellowship and now brothers, you can go ahead and very good, Ken. Thank you. Amen. Yeah, I'd like to jump in, uh, you know, and I'd like to take it 
another step. I appreciate Ken's fellowship. Um, but I'd like to just talk to you as a grandfather, because that's what I am. <laughs> Way back when I was a student, there was something called the peace movement. And I was very active in the peace movement. Actually, Ken was over in Vietnam, engaged in something called the Vietnam War. Right. I was on the other side. You were on <laughs> the other side. Leaders. And I was, I was back home in the comforts of home protesting. And uh, I was quite active protesting. One time in 1971, we were protesting at my university because four university students had been shot and killed in Ohio in a similar protest. And this, this initiated protests all around the country. And we had a protest at my university. And in the course of that, there was an older security guard who worked at the campus. He was a retired police officer, very nice old man. And there was a big scuffle that broke out and he got knocked on the ground and hit his head. And when I saw that, I thought, wait a second, this is, this is a so-called peace movement. What's going on here? And uh, of course, there were many times, many times, there was a certain kind of spirit that would take over the demonstrations and the protests. And it reminded me actually of Ephesians chapter two, verse two. It says there that you once walked according to the age of this world, according to the ruler of the authority of the air, of the spirit, which is now operating in the sons of disobedience. We realize, uh, young people, first of all, if any of you were to participate in a protest, we still love you, okay? We still love you regardless. But I'd like to, as I said at the beginning, I'd like to give you a little grandfatherly advice, and that is don't waste your time. Amen. We have much more valuable things to be doing. Now, we understand the idealism of youth. We all were there. And we respect that. And we, we realize there's many things to protest in the world today. But, you know, the unique solution to all the problems is God's kingdom. And in the church life, this is our pursuit, and this is what we're aiming for, is to live out the life of the kingdom of God. And this is what believers are called to do. Now, when I was attending these protests, I was not a believer, yet I was a student who wanted to, wanted to see a better world. I wanted to see... Uh, improvement in the relationships between black and white, between men of all types. I wanted to see peace in the world. But, you know, I did not experience peace, even though I was an active member of this so-called peace movement, until I came to the God of peace. And I'll share another verse with you that spoke to me very much while I was in the midst of this time in my life, it's John 14, 26. 
And I, when I read this verse, this verse actually changed my life. It says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. When I read this verse, I could not believe that the Lord said this. Not the peace that the world gives, but my own peace I give to you. So, brothers and sisters, I just refer to this in my experience, from what I have seen. You can take it or leave it. Just, it's up to you. But the peace that we have in Christ far exceeds anything that we can do through worldly protest. And, of course, there are many different causes, many different things that people uh, want to, want to uh, demonstrate about. And many of them, many of them are, you might say, even noble in, 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 uh, in terms of w- what they're seeking. But within every one of these things, there's also a certain kind of corruption. This is one thing I discovered in the course of being involved in this so-called peace movement. And, and I would say the same thing applies to many of the things taking place today because you know, there's nothing new under the sun as Solomon once said. The things that we're seeing today are really a duplication of many of the things we saw back in the 60s. And within, hidden within many of these things is a kind of corruption because it's all about man's activity, man's striving for improvement. In fact, actually the the hidden nature with all of these things is rebellion. Because man presumes that they can make life better, they can make the earth a better place, and yet still be independent of God. There's no reliance on God in any of these things. And so, uh, saints, brothers and sisters, we're, we're called for something, you know, much higher, much more glorious, and that is to be in the practice of the church life. So, we, we do, uh, again, you have to follow your conscience, but uh, maybe just take this as a bit of friendly advice, friendly counsel from a couple of older brothers. Um, Brother, I'd just like to you? add a few. I'm not quite in the same age range as the two other brothers but that's okay i've still been around a little bit little bit um again the tree of the knowledge of good and evil it's been mentioned in both messages but particularly brother don's it'll be mentioned by brother ray tonight as well very complicated life is simple life is just very simple you touch that tree you get life You touch the other tree, you're into a realm, a realm of right, wrong. What is the standard of right and wrong? Who adjudicates what is right and what is wrong? 
what, what measure can you use? For one brother, it's right. For another brother, it's wrong. So it's a very complicated, sticky, messy um, standard to me measure anything by. Um, you know, it's very interesting with when Eve was interacting with Satan, he asked her, what did God really say? And she says, well, he said, you don't eat of this tree. And then she says something very striking. You shall not even touch it. Don't even touch it. So it's not even a matter of taking it in. Don't touch it. Don't go near it. Don't get into that realm. Stay in life. I think this is helpful to me anyway. We, we, we may, to inform ourselves, to be able to give an, an answer to someone, an account of our what we believe or what we think, but be careful. Don't fall into the well. Don't be consumed. The tree is intrinsically attractive and distracting. Eve was distracted. The enemy tempted her. She looked at the tree, so pleasant to see, so attractive to make oneself wise. I'm just quoting the word of God. These issues can consume us and distract us. And again, we've already said this, um, the life in peace will not contradict the word of God. Well, at the corollary of that is the word of God should influence our sense of what is life and peace, even in a sense, what is right and wrong, the word of God. So I would say to all of us, something we all need, we really need, we need to be in the word of God whether you are 17 or 18 or 70 or 80, we need, desperately need God's word. God's word will enlighten us. God's word will enliven us. God's word will cause us to reconsider our views and even maybe influence, should influence the decisions we make. Um, the brothers have already mentioned about Romans 13, about the not protesting or not, you know, going against the authority, the God-given authority. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be fashioned according to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. If we're short of the word, but we're, what's the other opposite, tall? Anyway, if we're short of the word, but very much connected to social media, the news items of the day, the discussions and debates of the day, we are being perhaps unconsciously, but that's the nature of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's subtle. It's very, very subtle. Uh, it has an, a, an appearance of good, but the ultimate issue is death. 
the ultimate issue is you're taken off the tree of life and away from the tree of life. So I could say more, I, but I, would, I will say this, something that I'm impressed with very much, I have teenage children, one of them will be going to university next year and making life choices. What will I study? What will I be? What will I do? Um, well, one of the things I would, I would say to my daughter, to my children is consider any major issue facing man. And I have a little list, politics, uh, illness and disease, climate change, uh, Black Lives Matter, animal welfare, war. These are all big, big issues. I, I believe truly there will be no solution to any of those problems until the Lord comes back. Um, human government ends when the Lord comes back. We will be under a theocracy, a wonderful, righteous, benevolent theocracy. No more human government. Therefore, what is if we get involved in po politics and trying to drain the swamp, you will never drain the swamp. Sorry. But the Lord Jesus will drain the swamp. There are diseases and illnesses that probably we will not cure before the Lord comes back. But the son of righteousness with healing and his wings is returning to the earth. And then it says, if you die at 100, you will be regarded as young. You're a young person if you die at 100 years of age. This is what the word says. Um, climate change. Who controls the waves, the wind? Who, at, at, at the word of his mouth, the waves, the wind stops instantly. Um, there will be the one new man, the body of Christ where there is no Jew, there is no Greek, there is no black, there is no white, but we're all one in Christ, which is happening today, praise the Lord, I'm thankful for that. Animal welfare, it says in the Bible, the lion will lie down with the lamb. War, it says the sword will be beaten into a plowshare, into a plow. The Lord will end all human conflict. So as young people, we are, uh, what's the right word? Not just enthusiastic. We're, we're very concerned for the social issues of the day. But the real solution is not becoming a politician or a physician. We're not saying you shouldn't do those things. But the real difference, you want to really make a difference, bring the Lord Jesus back. So give your time. Give your energy, give your attention to building up the body of Christ. Pray for that. Spend time with your friends praying. You can pray, Lord, bring justice to this campus. Bring righteousness, bring equity. But the Lord will mainly say, then bring me back. And I will take care of everything. One last point on this, and I don't mean to turn it into a sermon. It's not meant to be a sermon. It's fellowship. But the Lord says another striking thing. When Mary poured out the alabaster, broke the alabaster,
flask and poured out the precious ointment. And some of the disciples, what are you doing? This, this could have been sold for a hundred denarii and given to the poor. And the Lord said a very striking thing. The poor you will always have with you. So he was saying, you will never end poverty on the earth. Yet people, good people, well-meaning people, give their entire lives to try and end the poverty of the human condition. Um, it just repeats itself over and over and over again. I have worked in Africa in, in war zones, in refugee camps. I've seen extreme poverty. I gave my time to live in a tent somewhere in the middle of Africa to help with poverty. That was nearly 25 years ago. Same things happening today. Same poverty, same famine, same uh, all kinds of, you know, where just poor people suffer because of the unrighteousness on the world. I'm not saying we shouldn't still go out and help them. We should. But that won't change or won't solve the, the problem. What will solve the problem, and I'm finishing with this, bring the Lord back. Give yourself to that issue. That's the top issue. Bring the Lord back by living on the tree of life. Amen. Maybe I'll just jump back in here based on what Michael just shared. And, uh, you know, what I was looking for when I was there protesting, I wanted to find a cause that I could give myself to. And I think this is very common among young people and it's very, very laudable that young people have such a heart for the condition of man, the condition of society, that they want to do something to improve it, to make it better, to bring healing, but I want to echo what Michael just shared, and that is the highest cause, the most noble cause we can give ourselves to is to bring the Lord back, Amen. to bring in his kingdom. The Lord does not agree with the current plight of mankind. He Amen. does not agree with the darkness and death that covers the earth. He would like to bring in a kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Wonderful. And so this is our part, brothers and sisters, Amen. friends. This is our part. This is our function. This is what we can do. You know, many times I walk into the streets of central London, Dublin. I live right here, Dublin 1. You walk down the street, you see human wreckage mm -hmm. people that have been destroyed humanity destroyed by drugs broken homes poverty we see this all over and there's something that within you that cries out lord what can be done and I just feel honestly that this is our calling to bring in the Lord's kingdom to the earth. Amen. We are the most blessed and the most privileged people yeah. that we can participate in such a cause. The other causes 
They may have their merits, but nothing matches this cause that together you and I, we all here in this call, being one with the Lord and one with one another, we can give ourselves to redeem the time, to make every day count in God's eyes so that as he grows in us, as he matures in us, he can form an army to turn back the enemy, to defeat the powers of darkness and to bring in his kingdom. I can't imagine anything more meaningful or more satisfactory than that. Right. Amen. Amen. That, that I, re I really like what Brother Ray just brought out about the cause. Um, actually, there's two times in Ephesians 3 where Paul says, for this cause. And one of them, uh, you should actually read that. I think I think it would help. What what was Paul's cause? Yeah. Um, Amen. Yeah, I had the same experience. I was looking for a cause growing up. Okay. Um, this is actually going back to Brother Ray, and we're 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 uh, you know we're switching horses midstream, as they would say in Texas, but um, we're still on the Q and R. So. This question is, are we as Christians permitted or allowed to believe that Adam and Eve, the tree of life, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil are allegorical and not a historical account of the beginning of creation? Are we allowed to believe that? Mm. Well, I'll answer... Uh briefly and then I, I want to give time to either Ken or Michael also because I just spoke but uh, when I when I first became a believer when I first received Christ I met the Lord in a very real and a very definite way there was no question that I had been saved and I love the Lord but, you know, there were some things in the Bible that gave me a little pause. Uh, one of them had to do with the stories in Genesis. You know, uh, did these things really happen? Are they allegories? Are they, what, what do they mean? I mean, Noah and the ark, what, what's, what's going on there, you know? And uh, I kind of categorized all these things, you know, as stories with meaning and uh i was i was a genuine believer but yet i i'm not so sure that i believed the 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 idea that these things took place historically well i've come to a different conclusion and that is i do believe these things took place historically uh and these things are to be trusted and one, one, uh, one verse that I'll refer you to uh, that uh, Brother Yemi pointed out, uh, we, again, we had a little fellowship beforehand, and I really appreciated uh, the comment that he made uh, concerning Adam. We may wonder, was there such a person as Adam? Well, go to Luke chapter 3, verse 38, and you will see there in that section of, of Luke, 
there is a genealogy concerning the Lord's ancestry. And the genealogy actually brings us all the way back to Adam. So in the Lord Jesus, in his genealogy, we know he was, he was born in Galilee, right? He, he, was, he was born there. Uh, you know, he lived this life. Well, he can trace his ancestry, his genealogy back to Adam. This is what Luke tells us. And so uh, we have to accept and I re we realize, you know, of course, the universities, the educational systems these days are very invested in the idea of under undermining the Bible as the word of God. You have evolution, you have all kinds of things, classes that try to mock the Bible as the word of God. But we have found that the Bible is very trustworthy. And there's nothing in the Bible that has been shown to be false or, or, or even allegorical. In fact, the evidence for these things happening is much stronger than the evidence for them being merely allegories. So I, through the years, I've been compelled to believe, just to believe and to accept in a very simple way that this is what the Bible says, and this is good enough for me. There's no reason for me to try to go to a different kind of understanding or a different kind of belief when the evidence doesn't support that. And, you know, I practiced law for 25 years, and so I do understand a little bit about evidence. And I have to tell you that the weight of the evidence supports the Bible. The Bible is the word of God. This is a historical record. And uh, to try to prove otherwise is actually much more of a stretch. So uh, again, with Adam, now there are things in the Bible that are signs. For example, in the book of Revelation, uh, John tells us in the, in the beginning of that book that the, the word that came to him, it came to him in the way of signs. For example, the New Jerusalem at the conclusion of the Bible is not a concrete city, because how can a concrete city come down out of heaven adorned or prepared as a bride for her husband? Yet this is how the New Jerusalem is described. So if the New Jerusalem is a bride, the new Jerusalem must be a person rather than a physical city. The use of the city is in the way of signs to, to, to paint a picture, to convey some, uh, some, some truth to us. You know, the Lord Jesus in the Gospels, when he was there, John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God. Now, was that a nice, cute little four-legged creature walking along there? Or was that a, a human being? Was that a man, a God-man called Jesus Christ, who was the Lamb of God? And so, yes, the Bible does include uh, uh, signs or pictures that help us understand the truth. But as to, uh, as to Genesis, as to Adam... Uh, I, we do believe that this is a matter of historical record. 
So with that, brothers, uh, if anyone else wants to share anything. Just to say there's really no indicator in those verses that it is our allegorical. Uh, it's presented um, as, as, as fact. Uh, Luke treats it as fact. And so our, our belief is this, this is the way of, this is, this is from the Lord. This is the Lord speaking, the Lord's analysis, the Lord's presentation of, um, of these, of these points. And it was not a, not, not there's an argument, but that the, um, that Adam and Eve, the tree of life, uh, were not allegorical. The, uh, and throughout the rest of the Bible, they're treated as if they were fact. Uh, many references to the tree of life. Um, many references to Adam and Eve. Um, so the Bible, they're presented as fact. The Bible treats them as fact. So we don't have any reason to believe other than, the, than they're, they're, they're fact. Adam and Eve acknowledge the tree of life, they acknowledge um, or they reveal the Lord, the Lord presents them that way, not as an allegory. Amen. So the Bible, as we mentioned earlier in our fellowship, the Bible um, presents certain things, certain things the Bible does not present. And we just trust the Lord that he has given us the Lord has presented in the word what we need to know to serve him and love him and take care of his purpose. He doesn't give us a lot of extraneous extra, extra information. The Bible is not a scientific book, but it's scientific. It's not a history book, but it's historical. Um, and uh, the more man tries to disprove it, the more man realizes maybe I was wrong in the first place. Um, so we just we just take it we just take it at face value. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, brothers, for that. Hallelujah for the Bible, the Word of God. Amen. 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 Well, the next question here will go to Brother Michael, and it goes like this: When we check with the Lord about things, is it possible that our feeling is contrary to the law? or rules that are set in the world. Could, be, could it be that he would ask us to uh, break the rules, for example, the COVID-19 regulations, or will he never ask this of us? Again, when we check with the Lord about things, is it possible that our feeling is contrary to the law or rules that are set in the world? Could it be that he would ask us to break the rules or will he never ask this of us? Brother Michael. Thank you, Brother Yemi. <laughs> um, well, I think, again, I'll, I'll just point to um, message two, uh, uh, two kingdoms. What is the title of message two again? Here we go. The two trees two kingdoms, and the two principles of living. 
Um, we need to learn to live according to the principle of the tree of life. What is the principle? A, um, a rule or code of conduct or a comprehensive and fundamental law. That's what a principle is. Um, I would say in general, the um, law of life, the principle of life is that we are law abiding citizens. We keep the laws of the land that we live in. We respect the government we are under, good or bad. Going back to the last president of the United States, the 45th elected in 2016, many, many people, even many, many Christians were very unhappy and felt that this was the wrong person and they spoke in a very derogatory way. Well, one of the things that bothered me was it wasn't whether the person was right or wrong. It was, there's an office. There is an office with dignity. Um, um, what do I say? Um, created under the Constitution of the United States. And by virtue of the office, this person deserves our respect. Whether we like him or don't like him, we think he's good or bad, he is the president. So this was something that I was very much at the time, he is the president, especially in the media, an awful, you know, the vast majority of the media, very hostile to this person. And sometimes you can understand their hostility, but that was still, that wasn't the point. The point was, there's an office. So we respect the office. So Christians in general, I would say, are law-abiding, um, respectful people. That is the nature of the life within us, the principle within us. Um, but are there exceptions? Well, if you look in the Bible, you see in the book of Daniel, there was a king called Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon and the children of Israel, the people of God at that time, were living in his kingdom. And he erected a golden image. This is not the dream in Daniel 2. It's the uh, image, the golden image in Daniel 3. And the command was, uh, you should bow down and worship the idol. Well, there were, Daniel had three young companions, young people. And they went, we will not bow down to your idol. So there, the, the word of God was their standard, not the government of the day. So they were, we will not bow down and worship the idols. You go to Daniel chapter 6, another edict was issued. I think it was with Darius, well, one of the, the Medo-Persian uh, kings. No one should pray to any other god should only pray to this king. And Daniel, again, contradicted that. He, three times a day, prayed toward Jerusalem, as was his habit. So you could say, well, is Daniel's, Daniel's breaking the law. The law has been issued. But that law contravened the word of God. So I'm answering our principle is, 
We are law-abiding, law-keeping. We accept God's government, God's arrangement, God's authority and who he places over us. We respect the police, even if they are corrupt or immoral. Uh, that's our general guiding principle. There may be exceptions. I think in the question, smuggling Bibles into a country. Well, go and disciple all the nations, says the Lord. Bring this truth to all the people, knowing that without this salvation, they will perish. So in that case, yes. Perhaps it's okay to smuggle Bibles. Um, but in general, yes, we are law-abiding people. And I don't think the Lord will very frequently tell us to contravene laws of the land or anything like that. So I think that's good enough as my portion of the response. In the... Uh... In that example in Daniel, just to take it just a little bit further, they didn't go tear down the statue. Good point. Very good point. Well, they just didn't bow down to it. They, but they didn't go say, King, we're going to tear it down. No. They just, they just lived according to what the Lord was telling them to live to, according to. And so that was... Uh, they just followed the Lord within. Then it acts. I can, just as you're looking to something there, I'll just also, they also then, as a consequence, and were put into a furnace. You could call that a furnace of persecution. Uh, but amazingly, there was someone else, a fourth person in the flames with them. And so sometimes we have to take a stand contrary to the sea around us. Everybody else doing that. We're making another stand. We may be persecuted, but the Lord is with us. Amen. Amen. Yeah. In Acts chapter 4, verse 18, um, yeah. when the, uh, the authorities of the Sanhedrin had called the disciples, the apostles at that time, and when they called them, they charged them not to utter anything at all or teach based upon the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you, rather than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they released them, finding no way that they could punish them on account of the people because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. Um, so then when they had been released, they went to their own people and reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them. But the point here is they had been punished, persecuted, as uh, Michael said, threatened, said, don't speak in the name. They said, this is our job, basically. <laughs> this, this is what we're all about. We're going to speak in this name. So we really need to, again, we, we need to consider, um, Lord, how are you responding in this situation? 
Uh, this is how the Lord, that's how the, 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 the um, Daniel and his, Daniel's friends responded in a certain way. Daniel responded in a certain way about prayer. And the disciples, the apostles, responded in a certain way when they were threatened. So we just need to consider, Lord, how are you? You, you, want, you want your word to spread. You want your word to go forth. And that's, that's what we're all about. We're all about, we're all about promoting the word um, and, and taking care of your, your interest and, and promoting the kingdom. So we need to really consider. We need to really be before the Lord. And of course, everything that the apostles did was with much prayer and fellowship. Much prayer and fellowship. They didn't go out in a half-hearted way. And um, in fact, if you look at them, they they didn't even they didn't even argue and say, "You guys are you know." They didn't they didn't revile. They did not revile them. They just said, "We have we we we're going to speak in this name. You judge whether it's right or not. But we're going to speak in this name." So they had a proper a proper attitude towards those authorities. They did not revile them. They had a proper attitude that, toward them, but said, but we can't follow, we can't do what you asked us to do. That's where they're at their point. So we really need to be before the Lord and how we respond to situations, especially like this. Amen. 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 Thank you, brothers, for that. I This this next question, I'm going to direct it uh, back to Ken. Um, and and this one this one's uh, really interesting, and I think this is obviously along the line of what the conference is about this weekend. Um, as far as you know, right and wrong, good, evil, mm -hmm. all these things, and it comes from a good intention of of wanting to have the Lord's will. Personally, I don't like coronavirus. I don't know about everybody else on this call, but I'm not a fan of it. Um, and this question is, is, is it living on the wrong tree by praying for this pandemic to be over? Oh, Lord Jesus. <laughs> you know, that's a hard, hard one to put in concrete terms. Um, cause like Trevor said, nobody is a fan of this virus. Um, but at the same time, we firmly believe uh, everything is under the Lord's sovereign hand. Um, so we've, you know, over the last nine, ten months, there's been lots of fellowship and prayer about this virus, and there's been a lot of prayer that Lord, if you have a purpose for it, Lord, accomplish that purpose. Um, we know for sure the Lord is not wanting to wipe out the human race because it used this virus to wipe out the human race. That is not the Lord's purpose. Um, so we just pray. I, I pray a lot. Lord, limit this virus. Lord, get it. Lord, you just like, just like Lord, you limited Satan when he when he attacked Job. You said Satan can do this and no further. And then. Then I'm just going back to what our brother Don shared this morning. And then Satan went back to the Lord. This said, okay, you can do this, but no further. And so that's really needs to be, Lord, 
limit the virus. Limit the virus, Lord, so for, for only for your purpose. Limit it, Lord, so that you can accomplish what you need to accomplish and then get us back to normalcy. Um, nobody, nobody feels that the virus is the, the new normal for the rest of uh, humanity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But Hope not. Still, still, all things are of the Lord. In Romans 8, 28 and 29, all things are from the Lord for his, that the, for his purpose, that he would accomplish in us his purpose. So we need to consider, you know, Lord, in our life, since this thing is here, Lord, how do we respond? How do we respond to this thing? Lord, we want you, we want to gain you. Many of many of us as a fellowship and pray the Lord is using this to cause us to have a more a better, a more personal time with the Lord. Believe me, I have spent much more time personally with the Lord during this virus time than I have previously. Mm. So, Lord, it's here. We can't do anything to personally change it. But Lord, we do ask you to limit it so that only for your purpose. Lord, limit the virus, limit Satan's use of the virus, that it can go no further than you have allowed it to go. The, the Lord, Lord, we know you have a limit to this. You've limited us, you've allowed it, but you've also limited it. So Lord, we stand, we stand against the enemy using this thing any, any more than you have allowed it to go. And that's really how, how I pray a lot, and I've heard others pray that way too. Um, the Lord may have a purpose, and we don't want to miss his purpose in this, for, uh, in this virus, causing us to consider more personally our relationship with him, which it has caused me to do. But um, I, I, I personally have to stop a little bit short of saying, Lord, remove the virus. Rather, this Lord, I want to you to gain in me and in the, in the brothers and sisters in the church churches, what you want to gain through this, so that when we come out on the other side of this, we'll be much stronger in our faith and our experience of Christ. Right. And Lord, I just want to know you in this. Lord, even I want to know how to pray about this in you. Lord, I want to touch the throne. I want my mm -hmm. prayer to be it, to touch the throne about how to pray concerning this virus. Lord, so just lead us and guide us. But I, I'll just say, Lord, Lord, we trust you. That, that you are going to, this thing, will, you will limit this. Lord, limit it so that only for your purpose and no more. Amen. Amen. Very good. Amen. Well, thanks, Brother Ken. I think the next, uh, the next uh, question here will go to Brother Ray, and it's kind of in the same vein. Of course, with the virus over the past uh, eight months, there's this uh, outward situation that feels so intense. And the questioner here says, you know, I am, lift, I am fe left feeling discouraged and tired in my soul. I think uh, a number of us could, uh, could possibly relate, relate to this. But even though I pray to the Lord and read the Bible, I often don't feel better. Is this normal? Am I not exercising my spirit the right way to receive life and peace? How can I break through? 
I think uh, this question is, I'm sure a lot of us are, will, would appreciate a response. Brother Ray. <laughs> yeah, really so. Okay, where's the response coming from? I'd like to hear it myself. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I, first of all, to the, to the author of the question, I think uh, many of us, maybe all of us, feel very much the same way, you know. Uh, it's, it's a trying time. It's a wearing out kind of time. Uh, it's a testing kind of time. I do appreciate what Brother Ken was just sharing about uh, that, that we would have a prayer, you know, because the Lord is on the throne and the Lord is the Lord of Lords. And this too is, is under his sovereign hand, which is to say, he is the ruler of the things on the earth. And there's something that he would gain in us and through us in the midst of this difficult environment. Uh, <clears throat> and so to have a prayer, as, as Ken suggested, you know, Lord, whatever it is you want to gain in me or to gain in your children on the earth, Lord, do it. Uh, make this time valuable. Make this time profitable in your eyes. And, and I really appreciate that kind of prayer. There's also another element here, you know, as the questioner suggests, and we, we're all experiencing it because we're all human beings. We're not marble Marys, as uh, one person would say, that, uh, you know, somehow we're, we're made of stone. No, we're flesh and blood, and we all uh, experience uh you know, the things that we, we, we pass through on the earth. I mean, the, the difficulties, the trying circumstances. We're not immune. We don't live in a bubble. Um, and so uh, it, the things that are, are troubling mankind generally during this period of time also trouble us because we have a body, a soul, and a spirit. And so in each of these realms, we can, we can have different levels of experience. You know, we have a soul, mind, emotion, and will. We talked about it earlier. And it's no doubt one of the things going on is that we all would be worn down, even maybe depressed because of the environment. Do not view this as some kind of failure on your part. Uh, I would say in many respects is a very normal kind of situation. But instead, turn it, use it, and turn it into a prayer uh, in which you would really open your heart to the Lord, just like Ken was describing. And I, I, I've had this experience where there are days where, you know, you, I go out for a walk pretty much every day, you know, just to try to get some air. And, uh, you know, you walk around and you realize there's something in the atmosphere. It's different. It's different. And certainly we feel different. And uh, as the questioner suggested, maybe it's a little bit oppressive. Well, turn that into a prayer. Lord, I need you. 
I need you to sustain me. I need you to strengthen me. And one thing that's been helping me in my experience is to realize, according to 2 Corinthians 4.18, that the things that have value are the unseen things. The things that truly have value are the unseen things because they are eternal. The things that are seen, we don't value them because those things are only temporary. The condition, the environment of the world is a temporary situation. What the Lord is using this environment to do is to work something into our hearts that has eternal value. And that is that we would learn to live a life of faith. Meaning, we believe in a God that we do not see, and we value things that we do not see. And so we begin to learn how to live in this kind of hidden, unseen dimension, not trusting on the outward things so much. You know, one thing that we human beings all, all have a tendency of doing, and that is we rely on the outward things for our satisfaction, for our enjoyment, for our livelihood. But we need to learn to live a life by faith. That is the Christian life. That is to say, we believe in and we trust in the unseen things. I believe this is one dimension of what the Lord is trying to teach all of us in our Christian life. That we would learn to rely on the Lord in this kind of way, really and truly living a life by faith. The other thing I would mention, too, and this is something that helped me in the very beginning of this time, is a very good portion by Watchman Nee in one of his books in which he talks about the wearing out tactics of the enemy. One thing that the enemy would love to do in this environment is to wear us out wear us down, cause us to lose hope, cause us to become disconsolate, cause us to lose our joy. This is all part of the wearing out tactics of the enemy. And if you get an opportunity to check out that portion, it's quite helpful to get the insight into realizing how God's enemy would love to exploit this environment to cause damage even to the believers. And so realizing that this is his strategy, we can again fight the battle by turning the situation to the Lord and even relying on one another, relying on the fellowship. I don't know where we'd be without Zoom, right? We've had Zoom as a way of keeping us in the fellowship. At, at least there's some line of fellowship. Zoom has its limitations, but thank the Lord we can have fellowship. And uh, so these days, uh, yes, we, uh, we very much relate to the, the question, but the Lord is still on the throne. The Lord is looking to accomplish something in our personal lives and in our church life experience so that we learn even the more to depend on him, to lean on him, and to really live a life of faith. You know, for example, if you're a sports fan, or if you love the movies, 
you know, I, sometimes right around the block from me, there's a movie theater and I walk by it almost every day and I have to chuckle, you know, you want to go in, you want to see a movie, no movie to be seen. You can't go in. No, no, no sports events. You know, I'm a big baseball fan back in the U S you all they had were little figures sitting in the stands, little cutout figures to mimic fans actually sitting in the stadium. Yeah, you could watch the event on TV, but nobody's there or hardly anybody's there. And so it's these, these uh, things that normally we would enjoy and take for granted. They're not there. We can't rely on them. So what's left for us? What's left for us is a life that's hidden with Christ in God. And so, uh, yes, we're all feeling somewhat deprived. So, certainly we are limited, but the Lord can still do a lot in our limitation. And so uh, may we be encouraged. I believe the Lord's actually doing something in a hidden way within all our hearts where we don't even realize the full impact of it yet. And we won't until this whole situation is changed. I believe we'll see something that's been wrought into all of us through the limitation, through the suffering, that will work out a greater glory to God and in the church. Amen. So maybe I'll just share this much. I would just add a small bit. I'm looking at the question. I think Brother Ray's answer, as always, very comforting and cherishing. Uh, I'm repeating the question. Sometimes the outward situation feels so intense. I'm left feeling discouraged and tired in my soul. Even though I pray to the Lord and read the Bible, I often don't feel better. Is this normal? I think Ray's done a really good job of responding. Uh, Am I not exercising my spirit the right way to receive life and peace? How can I break through? And I'm, I'm adding to this um, just a consideration. Um, sometimes we can't get through on our own. It's Jesus and me and my Bible, and I'm trying so hard, and I'm praying so much, and I'm trying to touch the Lord, and I can't get through. And there is something called the principle of the body of Christ. Uh, sometimes what I cannot see, the body can see. Cannot uh, can see. What I cannot do, the body can do. Amen. It's an aspect of our Christian life. There's absolutely the fundamental individual aspect. And then there's the corporate aspect. So there is much supply i'm thinking of paul in uh in a roman prison in philippians 119 he says uh i know that this will turn out to my salvation what is the salvation through your petition and the bountiful supply of the uh spirit of jesus christ he was relying on the body to do what he could not do. Now, in that case, he's asking them to pray. But maybe we just need to get together with some other saints and enjoy the Lord. Uh, 1153 in our hymnal, 
stanza five, we have found that meeting with the saints is the greatest joy on earth. By this, our spirit never faints and our lives are filled with worth. Now, that's not the Bible. That's a hymn. But the principle is right. Um, I have never been to a meeting where at the end of the meeting I go, I wish I hadn't come to this meeting. Many times it's a struggle to get to the meeting. Everything is against my going, including myself. But then I just give myself and I go, and I never end that meeting going, oh, why did I go to that meeting? Right. Um, so just to, to add, and maybe Ken can, or we can move on, but just how can I get a breakthrough? Maybe the breakthrough is not just with you yourself alone. Maybe the breakthrough is with other precious members of the body of Christ. You're tired, your, your thought is, I'll just go to bed, I'll just relax. No, get into a meeting with the saints, whether it's on Zoom or eventually, hopefully, back together again. Pay that price, even if you're tired, worn out physically. Present your body. That's what Paul says. I exhort you through the compassions of God, present your body a living sacrifice. I believe this may help you have a breakthrough. Amen. 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 Can we, uh, Brother Ken, do you got anything or can we keep going? Uh, just a strong amen. Because <laughs> I know we're getting, we're getting, we're getting tight on time. I'll just say a strong amen. Okay. Amen. So I got, um, I'll just read this really quick. This is going uh, back to Brother Michael. Sometimes I get social anxiety. The Lord has really helped me in this matter, but sometimes I feel so desperate of overcoming this because it feels horrible inside. Hmm. I know it takes time and I've opened to some saints and I tell the Lord how I feel, but it's hard sometimes. Is there anything further that I can, that can be done? I commend that person for endeavoring to get through going to the Lord I also think that's a very wise strategy to open to some saints. Um, this is not an easy thing. Some of us are dispositionally wired, born this way. We don't like big groups. And of course, the church life can be a very social place when it's not the pandemic. Um, what else would I add to this? Well, um, one thing I would say, if you haven't already done this, is the matter of pray reading the word of God. And as a verse that I, I use frequently in many of my fellowships with many younger saints, uh, Philippians 4, 6 says, in nothing be anxious, but by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And verse 7 then says, And the peace of God, which surpasses every man's understanding, will guard your hearts and your thoughts. A lot of the anxiety comes from our thoughts. But there's a promise in the word of God 
that if we um, in everything by prayer and petition, so we can pray, but more than just pray, pray, read these verses. I would say pray, read these verses till they become constituted into you. The word of God is a medicine. That's what I think it's in the Proverbs says that the word of God is medicine to my soul. And I can testify, at least recently, with a, 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 a dear, dear brother who fellowshiped with me about uh, nightmares at night and waking up extremely anxious and these kind of dark, evil thoughts attacking him. And we've prayed together quite much. But at a certain point, I said, brother, have you considered pray reading the word? And we use this, these verses in particular. And I was so happy about a week later, he came to me and said, it worked. When I woke up, and those thoughts were there. I just began to recite these verses. And he said, those thoughts left me. I was able to you know, go back to sleep and rest. So I would just encourage this person, and I'll finish with a little bit on the medical side in a moment, but from the spiritual side, pray, read positive verses about not being anxious, trusting the Lord. The Lord is with us. I will uh, always be with you. I'll never forsake you. I'll never leave you. Constitute your inner being with the medicine that is in the word. And when those anxious thoughts come, those anxious feelings, turn to your spirit, exercise your spirit. Eventually, this is God's goal. Our spirit would be the ruling and leading part of our being. Our anxieties that are in our soul, they may dominate us presently, but as we grow in life, as our spirit gets stronger, our spirit will be able to, well able to, override the chaos, turmoil, anxiety in our emotions, in our thoughts. This is God's promise. God's word is a medicine to us. Amen. And other matters, we may need some professional help. There is some, I mean, the Lord provides physicians. We shouldn't over-spiritualize some of these conditions or problems we have. I have met many, many saints over the years who suffered for, say, for instance, I'll give an example, chronic depression or severe acute depression. And as a physician, you know, we, we, we fellowship. So I put on my medicine hat. I don't put on my brother in the Lord hat, although that factors in. Uh, and there's times when I would, my assessment is, you probably would benefit from counseling and you would benefit from a course of antidepressants. And the reaction so many times is, oh, I wouldn't take an antidepressant. I shouldn't take, well, I would say, but and then I would say, well, if you have high blood pressure, do you pray that your blood pressure would go down? If you have high cholesterol, do you pray that your cholesterol is going to... No, you, you take action. You may need medication. So in the same principle, or pneumonia. I have pneumonia. Oh, I can't take antibiotics. So there may be a place for at least counseling, 
and perhaps some appropriate medications in that case. I'm not certain that this is, in this particular case, the social anxiety side of things. It's probably more in the way of counseling and techniques that can lower our anxiety threshold in our soul, but marry that to the spiritual side of reading, uh, learning to own these verses uh, for ourselves and allowing the Lord's spirit to also, and the word of God to be a factor in our complete and eventual healing, which will happen. I can assure you, you will get through. Amen. In 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxiety on him. Excellent. Because it matters to him concerning you. Amen. You know, when as Michael shared about prayer reading, um, just it's basically just simply praying over the word, just turning the word into prayer. Very good. So this, this verse, Lord, I cast my anxiety on you. Lord, I turn it to you. Lord, you take my anxiety, just like your word says. Your word says, I can cast it on you. Lord, I do. Lord, because... Thank you, Lord, it matters to you concerning me. I praise you, Lord. Lord, my situation matters to you. I thank you, Lord, you care very much about me. Lord, so Lord, so your, your word, Lord, it says it matters to you concerning my situation, Wonderful. concerning yes. my anxiety. Then these verses back in, in, in Philippians, um, in chapter four. Lord, let your forbearance be known. Lord, you're the, you're the forbearing one. Lord, you are in verse 5. Let your forbearance be known to all men. The Lord is near. Lord, you're near. Thank you, Lord. In my situation, Lord, you are near. Amen. And 6. And nothing be anxious. But in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So, Lord, I just met, let my request be made known to you. Lord, I turn to you. Lord, I let you know, made, I, make, I make known my requests. Lord, thank you, Lord. I just take you at your word that in nothing be anxious. But taking the word and just praying it back, turning it into your own personal prayer. Um, as you look back through history, many Christians in the last 2,000 years have taken God's word and turned them back into prayer. Excellent. And if you look back in, in the Bible, this is, this is a common way to, to touch the Lord, is to take the, the written word and turn it back to the Lord in a prayer back to him. So it just, it just soothes our soul. Uh, it allows the shepherd of our soul to supply us in our spirit and strengthen us into our inner man mm -hmm. and actually bring about some healing to our soul. Mm -hmm. So praying over the word, pray reading, Praying it, in, praying it in such a way that it becomes our personal prayer. Uh, amen. 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 Brother Ray? No, I, the brothers have done a good job. Amen. Awesome. Well, we're here at the last question tonight, and uh, we're going to go back to Brother Michael on this. The question is, can Brother Michael or any other brothers share how you experienced Christ in your studies at university, especially when the workload was heavy? And how did you balance your church life with your school life? 
how can we take care of our responsibilities as a student while fully giving ourselves to the church life? Brother Michael. Our response, a testimony. Um, every person has a different capacity. Um, of course, we have as a student a responsibility to pass our exams. I do not believe the Lord wants you so involved in the church life that you fail your exams and you become one of these students that take the scenic route through college or school. Um, my own brother, my flesh brother, one of my flesh brothers would say he took the scenic route uh, six years for a four-year course, but, oh, <laughs> right. Uh, so, so we do have a responsibility to pass our exams and uh, we need to take care of our studies. Uh, having said that, um, I got saved in, in college as, as a medical student. And um, I kind of, you could say, dove into the church life. Um, Friday night meetings, Lord's Day meetings, prayer meetings. Um, I, I had, I played rugby. Um, if, if, if someone, a brother used to come, I, this was in Dublin where Ray is now, um, there was some brothers who would come and shepherd us. At the time that I was going to school, the church in Dublin, the saints meeting, there were all students. Everyone was a student. There were no couples, no older ones, just the students. Uh, but we had a, a, a very lively, sweet church life. And sometimes in, in to shepherd us, some older brothers would come from literally from London for the weekend. And if they were coming for the weekend, I mean, we would, this dear brother would come and we would um, sit him down in a room and just ask questions literally from morning till night. And one of the dear sisters who was part of our group was an excellent cook and she would disappear around about meal times. And a few minutes later, the fragrance of cooking garlic and food being made, you could smell it. But basically we take a break, we eat and then back fellowship, questions like this Q and R. So when that brother would come into town, everything else in my schedule would be gone except for if I had to play rugby, it's a team sport, I have to be there. But everything else, I would just be there with the brother and with the other brothers and sisters. Um, I think there's a, maybe it's, I would say this, there's the myth that university students are very, very busy. Um, you are busy, but you are not so busy that you can't miss, or you can't, take care of your studies and still be fully in the church life. Your problem probably is your time management. You waste a lot of time. So if you can manage your time, honestly, it is perfectly possible to have a fully involved, fully engaged church life and still be an A student. Uh, and I know not all of us are A students. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but you just, if you're honest with yourself and you sit down and you look at how much time you're on 
internet, social media, video games, all of these things. And then you wonder, how come I don't have time for the church life or I don't have time for my studies? Look at how you use your time. If you have trouble uh, scheduling your time, I'm certain Trevor in Munich or Yemi in Madrid or Ray in Dublin or Ken in Munich also, these brothers can give you a lot of help. The body of Christ can give you a lot of help on how to manage your time. But it's perfectly possible to be, let's not say a good, an A student, a good student and still be fully involved in the church life. That was my experience. I'll finish with one last thing. For me, this is as a young student, uh, I kind of started reading my Bible after I finished my studies at about 11 o'clock at night. And many times I was two hours on my knees just reading the Bible and praising the Lord. I didn't have the distraction of internet, I have to admit. I'm from another era, age. But that worked for me. I was hungry. I was joyful. I was enjoying the Lord. I was enjoying my studies and enjoying the church life. I believe it's possible if you need help, seek fellowship. Amen. Amen. I, you know, I believe also, and I just want to give maybe one short uh, prophecy or testimony. Um, again, I've for many years I was I was a business consultant, an international business consultant, um, and the Lord, the Lord lives in us. For us to live in the church life, um, and just I just want to go back one at one point in time. Um, I was given a particular job function to. Um, to uh, I did I taught statistics basically, practical statistics to industry, and so I was I had a had to give a brand new set of material, training material. To a new class, uh, I had not covered the material before, and I had to go somewhere to give this material, and I wasn't quite getting it. <laughs> and believe me, I put the time in. Here's the key point: like Michael said, you gotta put the time in. You have to put the time in. But I put the time in, but the pieces just weren't coming together. And um, so the locality I was in. Um, uh, I think it was, it was outside near Chicago in, in the U.S. at the time. Uh, and it was a, a conference meeting that night. And I just felt I need to go to that conference meeting. Beating my brains out is not getting me anywhere. <laughs> so I'm going to go to the conference meeting and enjoy, and enjoy the Lord. And so I went to the conference meeting, enjoyed the Lord. And here's what happened. My mind got refreshed. Sometimes you can study so hard, your mind just gets worn out and nothing's coming together. I studied and I enjoyed the Lord. My body, my soul, and my spirit got refreshed. And I went home and all the pieces came together. You know what? They, they, had, they were all there. They were just kind of jumbled. But they came together. And I tell you, I've had many experiences like that in my years of consulting um, and thinking, boy, this is not going to work. How is this going to come together? You touch the Lord, your mind gets refreshed, and it's not a miracle. It's just, you know, Romans, you know, Romans 
12, our mind, we're just getting the transformation of the mind. Romans 8, 11. The, um, if the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who indwells you. So brothers and sisters, if we, if we spend our time loving the Lord, then he will renew our mind. We will be those, we will have the, the time and the wisdom. And yes, often it's a time management matter. Oftentimes, um, many times through the years, I've also realized, Lord, I didn't manage my time right. That's why I'm having some trouble right now because um, I didn't manage my time right. But between managing our time right being with the saints, loving the Lord, he re it's, it's totally possible um, to live a life in the church life uh, and be a, a business consultant or a doctor or a lawyer. You're looking at three, <laughs> three persons right here on the screen that have had you know, top, top jobs in, uh, in humanity. Um, and yet we've all been in the church life, solidly been in the church life, and lived in the church life because of knowing how to live by the tree of life. Amen. You know, uh, we've we've all learned through our mistakes, yeah. um, and we've all made our share of mistakes through the years. But there's a couple of principles that I think we can share. In, in response to this question. One is, uh, as the Lord says in Matthew, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. He's talking about all the human concerns, all the human anxieties. If, you, if we seek first the kingdom, the Lord will have the way to take care of our human needs. And I do believe we can testify that this is true. Yeah. Uh, in contrast with seeking first the kingdom, you have the enemy who likes to work very much in the realm of anxiety. Yeah. I read something somewhere where uh, it can be said that anxiety is the incarnation of Satan, meaning he hides in anxiety. He hides in these human things that cause us to worry. And what happens is anxiety can occupy you to such an extent where your heart grows hard. This is this parable of the sower and the seed, where the heart can be hardened because the anxiety just occupies your inner being. And so uh, on the one hand, the enemy, God's enemy, likes to work within the, the human things in order to stir up a lot of anxiety and a lot of worry and of course as a student you know you worry about getting through you worry about passing the exam you know i went to law school uh you know actually i went to undergraduate school uh before i finished undergraduate school before i became a christian but then later after becoming a christian and taking this way of the church life i, I started to attend law school two completely different experiences. And I would, I just want to testify that the Lord meets us very much in this whole area of going to school. And actually he can help us with our motivation. 
He can help us with our study skills. He can help us with our concentration. He can actually help you get through school in a lot better shape than, than if you were without him. Uh, eventually, some years later, after practicing law for a number of years in California, we moved to New York. I had to take the bar exam in New York. And because of our circumstances, I had three weeks to study for this exam, uh, an exam that usually takes two or three months to study for. But, you know, because in the, by that time I had learned a lot of things, I had been through a number of failures, and I just realized the thing I have to do before I do anything is I have to take care of my enjoyment of Christ. Amen. Otherwise, the anxiety of this exam is going to overwhelm me. And uh, I can testify that every day, day by day, I would just take care of the life supply. I would take care of the enjoyment. And then my study day would just, I was amazed. I, it was like, this, I, I, it seemed like I was a different person. This is not me, you know, but sure enough, I was just able to study in a kind of expedited way. Eventually, by the time I took the exam, I knew before I even took the exam that I was going to pass it. Fortunately, I did. <laughs> but my testimony, saints, is that, you know, the Lord is well able to meet our needs in all these kind of areas. Amen. We need to seek first the kingdom. Now, there may be times where you have to devote some time. We're not dismissing the fact that there are times where you may have to take care of a class, take care of some studying. But still, remember this principle. Seek first the kingdom, and then the, the Lord himself can supply you with what you need to overcome the anxiety. One final quick story. My first year of law school, I, I was in a place where I, I felt like I was in another planet because these students were so nervous and uptight about law school. First year law school is famous, legendary for weeding out the, the, the weak students and creating pressure and being so difficult. And so everybody wanted to be in a study group and everybody wanted to find out what the latest secrets were to passing the, the classes. And I reached a point where I went to my professor a Jewish professor, and I went to him and I said, am I missing something? Because when I look around, everybody is completely freaked out about being here, first year of law school, but I don't feel that way. And it's beginning to worry me. I, I think I might be missing something. And he just looked at me and said, well, do you understand the classes? Do you understand the cases? I said, yeah. He said, just keep doing what you're doing. And my point is that the enemy operates in anxiety Amen. to stir up an atmosphere of anxiety, especially when you start to go into the professions where everybody's looking for the latest edge. Well, again, saints, seek first the kingdom. Amen. So I'll, I better end it here because of time.